Good morning, church. Good to see you here. Thank you. Um, you know, we've been studying David for the last 12 weeks, and last week we ended up, we got him dead and buried, and you would think that would have been the end of the story of David, but there's one more message in that series that I want to get to, but I'm not going to do that today. Just letting you know, I'm going to jump over and talk something about, I had a homecoming thought here, and I thought this would be appropriate for, for this. And today's message, unlike most, I'm using the King James Version of the Bible, which I don't use very often because it's very hard for me to read. But two or three times a year, I try to use that because there's some folks that just like the poetic language of the, of the King James. And so I'll be using that today. Uh, let me ask you a question. When, when someone says homecoming, what do you think of? You can talk back to me. Coming home. What else? Reunion. Big meal. Exactly. All kinds of things, when you think about it, you think about homecoming. I know when I was coming up, you said homecoming. When I was a teenager, that was our biggest um, football game of the year. That was homecoming where the king and queen would be crowned homecoming, uh, king or queen or, or whatever, and we'd have a big party afterwards. And that was homecoming to me. Homecoming may be having all your family come in at Christmas time or Thanksgiving time and, and all of that. But let me ask you this. What would homecoming be without memories? You know, it'd just be a gathering. You know, memories is the core of homecoming. When you get together, and especially church homecomings, you talk about, you remember things that happened in the past maybe or different folks that you had acquaintance with, um, things that happened in the church that were really good, things that happened that were bad, and you work through those situations. But you remember things at homecoming. Well, homecoming day in a church, it just always brings back memories. And I think one of the memories it brings out is some of the best food in the world. <laughs> you know, that happens. And we've got those cooks right, right here in, in, the, in the church. Well, with that fact in mind, the subject today is five things we should always remember. You know, we remember things about homecoming, but there's something that we should always remember, whether it's homecoming or not. You know, there, there are things that we just must not forget. Things that we need to hold right at the top of our list of things that we remember all the time. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it clear that God places a tremendously high priority on our remembering certain things. In 2 Peter, um, the first verse, or the first chapter, the, the apostle Peter, he reminds fellow Christians of some wonderful ways in which God has blessed us. And he also admonishes us to our need to grow spiritually and what can happen if we don't grow. He lets us know that as well. I'd like to start with verses 12 through 15. It says this, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this 
my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now, there are some things, there's no big deal if we forget those. But I want to show you just five things this morning that we need to always remember. Always remember. And indeed, if you allow any one of these things to become less than, than vivid in our memory, we will fail miserably um, short of life's highest and, and best. We do not want to forget these things. We want to hold them at the top of our mind forever. And the first one is the price that was paid for our salvation. The price that was paid for our salvation. First Peter, the first chapter, verses 18 and 20, and we read these words. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain um, conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now that word redeemed there in the 18th verse, it means to set free by paying a price. And in the first century, there were just millions, millions of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. That was something that was common in that day. And if some kindly benefactor were willing and were able, he could redeem a slave if he wanted to. That is, he could pay the price that the slave owner demanded and set that slave free. Well, we need to understand this. Those of us who are Christians, which are most of us in this room here, those of us who are Christians were prior to our conversion the slaves of sin. We were slaves to sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that all have sinned. And then in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And the emphasis here is on spiritual death, which means separation from God. You see, sin had us in its grips. Um, and we were defeated in this life and we were bound for eternal hell but the Bible goes on to say but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and then in the 8th chapter of John verse 36 says if the son therefore shall make you free ye shall be free indeed you know Jesus reminds us um, or Jesus redeemed us you know from being a slave to sin we were lost we had no hope but he redeemed us. He paid the price for us on the cross. You know, in, in, in a way that's just beyond our comprehension, Jesus somehow, he took himself, um, took upon himself the, the, the torturous bundle of all the punishment that you and I deserved for our sin in this uh, time and eternity. And that's just hard to imagine. I can't imagine him doing that just for me. But when you multiply that over every person that's in this world, um, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took on an awesome task. Folks, that's love that we cannot comprehend. That's far beyond our comprehension. In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verses 5 and 6, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone um, to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For he hath him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, just the physical suffering must have been horrendous. You know, the Romans, they were masters at torture. They knew exactly how to bring, tear someone down and bring them right to the brink of death and not kill them so that they would feel all that pain. They knew exactly how to do that. But the spiritual anguish must have been even worse. I don't even know how to comprehend that. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verses 15, it tells us that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. I mean, just think about this. He was the one perfect person who ever walked on this earth. Can we even comprehend being perfect? It's hard to even comprehend that because we've never been there. We've not been perfect. You know, just think of it. He was that one person who walked this earth without sin. You know, he had never, he never had a wrong thought. He never spoke a wrong word. Um, he never did a wrong thing. Yet every filthy thought um, that you and I have ever had and every sorry, sinful act that you and I have committed, every unholy, un godly word we've ever spoke was laid upon Jesus on the cross. Everything. You know, we couldn't hide anything there. We can't hard possibly understand that. Such a concept is it's really is, it's outside of our, our frame of reference because we're sinners, but He was and is perfect. What a separation that is from us. It's hard to understand someone that perfect. You know, you may think you're having a good day that you haven't sinned all day long, um, but when you say that, you sin. <laughs> it's just that. It's just that. That that simple. Um, when the renowned evangelist from another generation, Gypsy Smith, you may have heard that name, when he was old and he was still fervent in serving the Lord, someone asked him. He said, "How it was that." he was still so enthusiastic about Christian service after all these years because he could hardly even get around, but he was still active in service. And with a tear in Gypsy's eyes, he said this. He said, if there is anything um, of effectiveness in my life and ministry, it's because I never lost the wonder of it all. I like that statement. You know, if you and I ever get to the point that we're casual about what happened on the cross. Or if we ever begin to take that for granted, we need to get on our knees and stay there until we recapture the wonder of it all. When you stop and think about what Jesus did for us, that's the wonder of it all. And folks, that is something that we should never ever forget. We should remember the price that was paid for our salvation. The second thing, we should never forget. The people God has used to bless our lives. The people God has used to bless our lives. In 1 Peter 
chapter 5 and verses 12 and 13. It says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Um, and then verse 13, she who is in Babylon. I'll stop right there just for a second. Now, apparently that's a reference to the church in ba uh, Babylon with Babylon perhaps a symbolic reference to, to Rome, or it could refer to an actual city by name. But it says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, uh, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. In this short passage of scripture, I want you to notice how Peter, you know, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but how he remembers to express appreciation for the help of Silas. And he also remembers to pass on greetings from the church of Babylon and from Mark with whom he had a real close relationship with, it, with there. You see, Peter, he didn't forget the people who were special to him. He always gave credit where, where credit was due. And in like manner, you and I, we should always remember the people that God has, uh, has used to bless our lives. And there's plenty of people that God has used to bless our lives with. When you stop and think about your own life, has there someone ever blessed you? Do you think it was God behind them? I really think that that is the way it is. You know, we should always remember to give them attention and give them the consideration and the time that they deserve. You know, we should always remember to express appreciation to them and for them. Now, I would say that our families are at the very top of the list when you start thinking about that. I know mine, mine are. I'm so thankful for Valerie. You know, she's not only the love of my life, but she's my best friend. You know, and, and, and she's my very best helper. She even helps me sometimes when I don't want her to help. <laughs> but generally, I always need it. You know, she's a wonderful wife, and like a good wife should, now and again, she slips me a little dose of humility, you know. For example, we have a friend who's just a little bit younger than we are, and he wears a beard that makes him look like he's from the, the creature of the Black Lagoon or something. His beard is, is long, and it goes like everywhere, you know, and it's just all out there. It looks like maybe a whole hotel of bird nests could be in the thing. But, I mean, it's pretty wild looking. And we were talking about him one day, and I said, Valerie, how do you think I would look with a beard like that? And she looked at me, and she said, lonely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really thankful for her, you know, and I'm thankful for my children. You know, and Valerie and I, we're grateful for the many wonderful people whom God has used to bless our lives down through the years. And that most certainly includes the dear folks here at Cabin Swamp Church of Christ. I don't know how we'd get along without our friends here. So from our hearts, Valerie and mine, we can truthfully say what the Apostle Paul said of his friends in Philippians, the first chapter in verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, there's an extremely um, sad statement found in the book of Job. There's many statements that are sad in the book of Job, but there's one here. Um, uh, this old patriarch, you know, in excruciating pain and emotional distress, 
He said this in Job 19, verse 14. It says, My kinfolk have failed, and my, fam my familiar friends have forgotten me. You know, I can't help but think how just unexcusable that is, especially at a time when he needed them most. His friends forgot him. You know, so I have to ask myself sometimes, how many people have, have I disappointed or marred um, by my testimony? Not intentionally, but because of maybe forgetting. You know, forgetting some promise that I've made or, or forgetting some special occasion in their life or forgetting to be attentive when they were hurting. Thomas Hood wrote this. He said, but evil is wrought by want of thought as well as want of heart. Folks, we should always remember the people whom God has used to bless our lives. You know, sometimes we are the answer to other people's prayers. You know, we're the arms and legs or the mouthpiece to answer someone else's is, is prayers. You know, um, we should always remember those people that God has used to bless our lives, even those that are no longer with us. And, of course, those that we're blessed to have with us still. We should remember those. Something else we should always remember. The promise that God has given to sustain us. The promises that God has given to sustain us. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says this, Whereby all are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is the whole world through lust. Chuck Swindoll, he says this, he says, sometimes I feel like a violin solo and I've got on boxing gloves. And then he says, or that life is like Indy 500 and I'm driving a broken down jalopy. You know, and I, he says, we all feel that way sometimes. But how great it is that we have the promises of God to lift us out of the valley of despair, to lift us out of those tough times. You know, I don't have time to elaborate, but I do want to name just, just a few here and briefly comment about them. Um, you know, these wonderful sustaining promises that God has left us with. Let's go to Lamentations, the third chapter, verses 21 through 23. It says, This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. You know, sometimes I think we all feel like all the wind has just been taken out of our, our sails. You know, and we just can't go on. But lo and behold, the next morning God is standing by with a fresh new supply of spiritual strength that's ours for the asking. Amen. You've been there? I have, and I know you have. Another sustaining promise in Romans 8, chapter verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. What a grand sweeping promise that is. You notice those first words, all things? Man, that's big. And that includes, you know, those tragic things that result um, from our sins and our blunders. It includes that. It includes the terrible events whose mysterious cause we can't even begin to understand. It includes that. And if we, you know, as, you know, if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and if we, in love, 
if we would lay down all those broken pieces, our God can somehow miraculously bring even out of a sad, sorry, and sick situation. He can make good come out of it. And he does often. We may not be able to see it at the time, but if we'll just hang in there and we'll be faithful and trusting one day, either here or hereafter, we'll be able to look back and say, along with the poet, God was better to me than all my hopes, better than all my fears, for he made a bridge of my broken sighs and a rainbow out of my tears. You know, God is good to us. And that's something we can always remember. You know, there are just times when you have to hang on to Romans 8:28 in order to keep your sanity. You know, another sustaining promise is in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee. What a promise that is. The hymn writer said, um, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me thus, safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. You know, it is no secret that Satan tries to fog our minds and tries to cause us to forget those great truths. But you know, if we'll make it a point to read them, make it a point to meditate on them, make it a point to even memorize them so that we can recall them at any moment, God will use those great truths to sustain us in our times of pain and our time of disappointment and heart heartbreak. You know, the great old hymn says it so well, standing on the promises that cannot fail, you know, standing or when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Folks, we have those promises to stand on. Something else we should always remember. Number four on your outline. The provision he has made for us in heaven. The provision he has made for us in heaven. Adam talked some about this. But First Peter, um, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Several decades ago, there was a professor of literature his name was C.S. Lewis, and at the time, he was an atheist. However, in his 30s, he was converted, and he became an outstanding spokesman for the Christian faith. And after studying history and the uh, Christian movement um, and others talking with him, C.S. Lewis made this observation. He said this, The Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have begun thinking less of the other world, they have become so ineffective in this one. Folks saying that we need to just keep our eyes on the prize here. Keep our eyes on heaven and think something of it. It helps us in this world. That late C.S. Lewis, he was right on target when he said that. You know, if we're to see the events of this life in proper perspective and deal with them effectively, we must be rightly related to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and have a clear biblical awareness of what awaits us in heaven. 
You know, when we really understand what heaven is, it takes the sting of death away if we're Christian because we're going to something better. You know, we've just got to remember that and be focused on that. You know, what a great place indeed heaven must be. You know, we'll be reunited with Christian loved ones and friends, you know, who've gone on before. We'll enjoy the spectacular beauty. When you look at how heaven was made and what was used, we can't even fathom that beauty. You know, we think about the Lord created the earth here in six days. He rested on the seventh. Well, he's been gone to prepare a place for us for a long time. How beautiful can that be? When you think about the beauty in this earth, compared to he's had all this time to make us something beautiful, it's out of this world. You know, we can't comprehend it. You know, we'll enjoy the spectacular beauty there, and we will experience perfect health, and we'll be free from all of our sins. Can you imagine not having any guilt whatsoever? What a blessing that is. You know, and then there's going to be just the supreme blessing of heaven itself. Your songwriter, he put it like this. He said, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will soon be seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all the sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. You know, there are wonderful blessings and joys that come to the believer in this life. And we've all experienced them. But we also need to understand that we're not exempt from life's trials and tribulations. And when we're going through the valley of suffering or heartache, we need to remember that we're just strangers and pilgrims here. This world is not our home. This is not where we're going to stay. But heaven is our ultimate home. I know in the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 18, Paul wrote, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. James Whitcomb Riley, he wrote a poem entitled uh, A Life Lesson. And here's the last stanza of his, of his poem. It says, There, little girl, don't cry. They have broken your heart, I know. And the rainbow gleams of your youthful dreams are things of long ago. But heaven holds all for which you sigh. There, little girl, don't cry. Beautiful. Number five, the performance God expects from us in the meantime. In Second Peter, or, or First Peter, the second chapter, verse 15, says, For so it is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then in the 21st verse of that chapter, it says, For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that he should follow or that that ye should follow his steps. And we also read in First Corinthians, the fourth chapter, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, it is not required anywhere in the scriptures for us to be multi-talented. That's not in the scriptures. It's not required that we be exceptionally brilliant. It's not even required that we, you know, we're outstandingly personable. That's not required. But you may vary, you know, but one thing that is required here, there's one requirement that God makes of his children and all believers is that we be faithful. 
faithful. That's our task. Faithful in every department. You know, some folks, they kind of like the, to call themselves cafeteria Christians. You know, and that is they just kind of pick and choose the areas that they want to be faithful in. You know, and they somehow then rationalize and convince themselves, you know, that their neglect, their negligence in these other areas is excusable. But folks, it's not. First Corinthians 10 and verse 31 says, whatever therefore ye eat or drink or whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You see, we are to be faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. And that includes faithfulness in attending church. You know, some folks say, oh, I love the Lord, but I, you know, I don't go to church. Well, that's kind of like saying I love to swim, but I don't like the water. You know, it's kind of dumb. Hebrews 10th chapter, verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some, as manner of some is. You know, unless we're providentially hindered, you and I need to be there when the church doors are open for our own good, for our own sake, and for our influence on other people. You know what a blessing it is to see you in church. And folks, we need to understand that we need to be faithful in church going. And we need to train our kids to be faithful. But I want you to know that our kids are not going to learn to be faithful when they stay out on Sunday and play games and go to the water park and go fishing and do all kinds of stuff like that. What are we teaching our kids then? We're teaching them that that's more important than church. You know, it may be hard. And there's nothing wrong with fishing and going to the park and playing ball. Nothing wrong with those things. But give the Lord His time. He's blessed us enough and He's provided heaven for us. We need to give Him His time. You know, and we will be blessed for doing that. I know when I was coming up, going to church, that was not a question. We didn't ask, are we going to church this morning? We asked, what time are we leaving? Because we were going. That's just the way that that... That was. And that stuck with me. And I brought up my kids the same way. To the point now, they go on vacation, they do something on Sunday morning, they're scrounging to find a church where they can worship. Even on vacation, you know, people say, even on vacation, you, you go to church? Well, yes. We do. Okay, be there on your outline. We're faithful in bringing God's tithes and offerings. There's one lady in church, she said, um, you know, there are a lot of reasons to tithe, but one reason is that I'm afraid to keep that something that don't belong to me. You know, and I thought that was really gracious. It's like the lady, she was in her 90s. She passed out in church, and the people were ushering her up, and she said, wait, 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 wait. They were trying to get her help and get her outside, and uh, it was offering time. She said, wait, wait, wait. My offering's in my pocketbook. Make sure it gets in there. I mean, that's how important she thought that that was, you see. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says this, and all, the, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or by the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. You know, we are to bring our, our offerings and our tithes, you know, as God has directed us. Another thing, the faithfulness that God requires includes our helping to carry the load. See, Hebrews 9 and verse 14 says this, how much... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <laughs> Folks, as Christians, not the first one of us are called to be spectators. We should not be spe 
spectators here. Um, it was Paul Powell, I believe, who said this. He said, we're not saved to sit, soak, and sour until the second coming. And I also think that it was him that said, you know, there are some Christians have been sitting so long that they have ingrown shirt tails. I thought that was pretty unique. D, we're to be faithful in our moral conduct. First Peter, first, uh, in, in first chapter, verse 15, says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. You know, someone said that you're writing a gospel, a page each day by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men are reading that gospel, whether um, faultless or true. So, what is the gospel according to you? If you don't think our little fellas watch and see what's going on, you got another thing coming. They watch you like a hawk, you see. And then E there, Father, we are to be faithful in witnessing to those around us. We are, of course, supposed to witness by manner of life. Jesus did say in Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. He did say that, but we're also to verbalize our faith. You see, Jesus said in, in the first chapter of Acts in verse 8, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And whatever else a witness may be, you know, it's someone who tells what it firsthand knows to be true. And folks, we know the scripture to be true. And we should be telling that. And the author of Psalms, in the 107th Psalm in verse 2, declares, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Folks, that's something that we should do. Songwriter expresses what should be the heartfelt conviction of every last one of us. If you're familiar with this song, it says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride, where the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Folks, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ um, paid an enormous price in order that you and I might be saved. In order to receive that great gift, you know, we have to reach out in repentance. We have to reach out for it in repentance and faith and being obedience to the command to be baptized. If you've never done so, I want to challenge you today to surrender your life to Jesus Christ this morning. It will be the wisest decision you've ever made in your life. You talking about an insurance plan, that's an insurance plan. And if you're already a Christian, let me challenge you to face up to whatever sin that's just crept into your life and, and uh, let me challenge you to receive right now um, whatever new beginnings are needed in your life to correct that. So I want to challenge you that. Well, this morning you've heard five things that we dare not forget. Something that we should remember always. If we're going to be what we ought to be, and if we're going to mean to others what we should mean to others, and if we're going to honor God, we should never ever forget those five things. You see, the 
price that was paid for our salvation, the people whom God has used to bless us, the promises that God's given to sustain us, and the provision He's made for us at the end of the day, and of profound importance. We should always remember the performance He expects of us as believers in the meantime. Our God is great, but He didn't call us to be lazy. He called us to be workers in the kingdom. And if we're faithful with that, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What a blessing that will be. If we're not faithful in that, we'll hear some words that just make the hair stand up on your back. Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want to ever hear those words. And I know you don't either. So this morning, if you have a decision that you need to make, I'm going to encourage you to make that. I'm going to encourage you to come home with God as our Father. Come home to His home, the church. Let me encourage you to come home this homecoming day. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a human decision. Take my life and let it be.